This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, welcome everybody to our evening study from the Book of Acts, or as we like to say, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We're up to Acts chapter 11. What we usually do uh, is we usually pray, which is a good time-honored Christian thing to do before studying. Then we read uh, the notes from last week, because I know that most of us, we have a very cyclical community here, and we come and we go, and uh, so we always read the previous uh, notes from last week, ask any questions, get ourselves up to date, and then do our best to to get as much of the, the chapter as possible. It's a Socratic discussion. Please feel free to interrupt, add, ask any question. Um, I do not pretend, and actually I do pretend, to know all the answers, but that's actually not true. And, uh, and so you all got the Spirit of God, and, uh, and I always make sure that I bring a piece of pen. So if you say something really smart, I will plagiarize you the next time we study this. Okay. All right. So, brother, would you like to do the time-honored thing? Yep, yep, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to come before your word. And Father, we pray that you would be here amongst us. Lord, you would honor us by your presence and lead us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's have a look at the, the handout notes for Acts chapter 10. And we'll just read them through. <clears throat> We're also being recorded, if that's okay with everybody. And it goes out on a podcast. I think uh, you so you actually read the pod, listen to the podcast, is that right? I've been following the whole uh, series. All right, so you're really caught up. That's awesome. Okay. So Acts chapter 10 introduces the watershed moment of Gentile inclusion into the Jesus movement. Prior to this, the mission of the early church had been restricted to the Jewish and Samaritan peoples, although there was an Ethiopian as well. There's a good debate that he was actually Jewish. The place setting of the event of Acts chapter 10 is also of importance. Cornelius is a Roman centurion of an elite Italian unit based in Caesarea. Caesarea is the administrative capital of the Roman occupation. He is identified as a God-fearer, a Gentile attracted to monotheism and has joined the synagogue. He is a generous supporter of the Jewish people despite being an integral part of the occupation force which is an interesting um, thing to think about, that he is uh, attached to a synagogue while actually being part of the the occupation of that that country. Um, Cornelius engages in the ritual daily prayers that had developed during the Babylonian captivity. The one described in Acts appears to be the Mincha afternoon prayer. So we note that In the first temple, when it had been destroyed, the Jewish people had gone into Babylon, and then without a temple, what would they do? So they developed uh, the the daily prayer service, which we see in the book of Daniel. We also see them following the exact same service, even when they come back to to Israel and reestablish a temple. So you've got regular prayer occurring all over the place. So we note that during the second temple period, prayer had, in many forms, already begun to replace sacrifices. That didn't annul sacrifices. It just meant that if you were nowhere near a temple, you could still engage in three daily prayers, right? Without actually offering a sacrifice. 
An angelic visitor acknowledges that the prayers and good deeds of Cornelius have been noticed in heaven. Note that both are noticed. And we spend a bit of time reflecting on the fact that Cornelius's good deeds are noticed in heaven as much as his prayers are. So, um, not just by God, but also by the other angels. Thus, good deeds have some weight in the attention of heaven. The angel directs Cornelius to seek Peter in Joppa, but does not personally present the gospel, despite being able to communicate directly to Cornelius, which apparently, this is the presentation of the gospel, apparently can only be done by another human, which is an interesting thought. Angels come, and he could have said then and there, he's got Peter's at uh, Cornelius' attention, let me tell you about Jesus who's risen from the dead, but instead he gets the instruction of go find a human. And he'll tell you that Jesus is risen from the dead. Well, why didn't the angel do it? But apparently, that's not their job. They have other tasks. What's our job? To tell people about that Yeshua is risen from the dead. Right? And we can't leave that up to heaven. It's, it's, which is an interesting thought as well. Yeah, but they saw it, but they can't seem to whatever reason. They are not the witnesses to a human. It's the humans are witnesses to humans. So Peter currently resides in Joppa, which is associated to the tradition of the prophet Jonah. Beginnings and ends always occur in the same place and often in the same manner in the Bible. For example, Jonah was instructed to go to the Gentiles and refused. But now Peter will receive the same commission and will accept. Peter already has the Holy Spirit and yet has been unable to bring the mission to the Gentiles. Thus, having the Holy Spirit does not render one infallible. Okay? Just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you know everything. Okay? It's taken this community, which all has the Holy Spirit, which has been fighting demons and, and curing people, an extra special piece of information to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter is also praying the afternoon prayer. So it's interesting that both Cornelius and Peter both engage in mincha prayer. And he receives a vision, just like Cornelius, and a heavenly voice, just like Cornelius. In this case, the vision is of clean and unclean animals, now called by God as clean. This vision is not about kosher laws, rather about the boundary issues between Jews and Gentiles. In the tradition in traditional halakha, that is the acting out of uh, law, regarding food laws meant Jews could not eat with Gentiles, could not eat Gentile food, nor enter their property, nor dine at their tables. Traditional Jewish prayer in the morning includes a prayer said by a man, for example, thank God I'm not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Social boundaries also created Gentile antagonism. So as Gen Jews are separating themselves from Gentiles for various reasons, that also meant that that had a negative impact uh, on, on Jewish-Gentile relations. A lack of understanding often leads to misunderstanding. For example, Jews do not eat pork, so Romans thought, Jews worship pigs. All right? Just like, just like uh, when you go to India, what can't you eat? Cow, because it is sacred. So it was misunderstanding, a lack of understanding can lead to a misunderstanding. In your, especially when your dialogue, it perhaps not is, is not, uh, not a good dialogue. Note that in Paul, we are warned of the difficulties of fellowship between light and darkness. Thus, some boundaries actually still remain. 
However, in this case, towards the Gentiles, Peter begins to break that barrier when he entertains the Gentile visitors immediately from Caesarea in his house in Joppa. He then continues to cross the Rubicon by entering the house of Cornelius and eating with him. This is a big deal. Peter explains the gospel of the resurrection. Right? He has that little, little speech where he includes, he talks about Jesus having been resurrected. That is the good news, that Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit then falls on the whole gathering. Pete Cornelius has gathered his whole house and some of his soldiers and family. He's got a large gathering. The Holy Spirit falls on them and they communicate to Peter and the six brothers with him in some form of Aramaic or Hebrew, what we call tongues. Note, the Holy Spirit in this case has been poured out prior to baptism. They are baptized in the name of Jesus, not in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as directed in Matthew 28. We tend to find that we have an injunction in Matthew 28 to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then once you get into the book of Acts, no one ever does so. Note that in verse 43 of Peter's speech, he says that whoever believes receives forgiveness of sins. This is not a mysterious doctrine or some sort of baptismal formula. This is just believe and you will be given the forgiveness of sins. The rest of it might just become implied that you will be baptized. So despite salvation being a universal concept in the Psalms and the Prophets, right? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, all you nations. God had to do something unusual to get the good news to the Gentiles, which he has done. And now, in Acts 11, we see the reaction. So let's uh, have a look at that text. For those who haven't been here, what we do is we just go take a verse each, and we just go around the room, and it doesn't matter um, what, uh, what version, or even what language. We actually really can follow along. <laughs> The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, And said, He went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. And said, He went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a terrace I saw, in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. Uh, the voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. At that very moment, three men arrived at the house where we were sent to meet from Caesarea. The Spirit told me 
to have no hesitation about going with them. These <coughs> six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. <coughs> he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa to Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution from the connection with Stephen travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to, to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed in terms of the Lord. News about these things reached the ears of the community in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days there came down prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great fame over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So, based on just a surface reading, the literal reading, Peshat, is there anything there that jumps out that you haven't noticed before? Or is there something that you always notice every single time you read this text? It's a tradition in uh, probably, or both in Jewish circles and in Christian circles, definitely in many Jewish circles, that uh, Jesus, Jesus started a movement which was Jewish and Paul started the Gentile church. Except what have we just read? Who actually started the Gentile mission? Peter and? Some nameless brothers. Okay? It's actually not Paul at all. He somehow gets attributed to it because he does some good stuff, but he himself actually doesn't begin it. Okay? It's already actually in full swing by the time he's actually brought in. And, uh, and starts doing his, his thing. In fact, he's probably learning at this stage how to do it, right? Um, 
So it is confusing in um, verse 20 that it refers to Hellenists. Yeah, that's what the version mm-hmm. here. But it means Greeks rather than Greek speaking Jews. Hmm. Because uh, remember in um, earlier on in Acts, where because of the, uh, the Hellenists. Do with the widows not getting their fair share. Correct, they are Hellenists. Yeah. Yes, but that means they're Hellenist Jews. Yes, but it's, uh, in the Greek, it's tell us whether it's a different. Because my, 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 my it says Hellenists in the <coughs> Yes. There, there's the juxtaposition with verse 19 in Cyprus where it's specifically non Jews. And it seems to be carrying over into these Greek speakers in, in verse 20 in Antioch. Plus, we have the further com- coming uh, that in Antioch they were first called Christians. So I think there's a clear implication here that there were large numbers of non-Jews also in Antioch, but that these <coughs> Greek speakers were predominantly Gentiles. So I've got here some of them, however, men from Cyprus went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. Yes, is that what you've got? Hellenists. Hellenists. No, I've got Hellenists. Hellenists, interesting. Okay. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing in yeah. Greek. I mean, it's not distinguished here. Yeah. You have to choose your translation. But the, the, the definite, I think the, the position is because the verse before had set up, they hadn't started talking to, they'd only been talking to Jews, now they start talking to, to, to Gentiles, whoever these people are. I think, I think that's where it comes from. Yeah. Any any other questions? Yeah. Uh, from the notes of uh, chapter ten, the word mincha. Mincha. What does it? I never heard that. Okay, so um, in the Bible, uh, well, there was there was a daily sacrifice. Uh, there were there were three, and they, there was a morning sacrifice, which was named after the dawn, shacharit, shachar being dawn, and then there was this afternoon sacrifice, which was called the mincha. And then there was an evening one called the Ma'ariv. And um, when, the, when the temple was destroyed and the Jewish people were scattered, particularly into Babylon, they developed a, a, three, a thrice daily prayer service and they named their prayers after the three sacrifices. Okay? Um, oddly enough, when Bishop Gobat and the Bishop Michael Solomon Alexander, who was a rabbi who had come to faith, who was the bishop of this church, when he translated the Book of Common Prayer into, into Hebrew, he named the three daily prayers that the, the church has the same thing. Shacharit, Mincha, and Ma'ariv. Okay, as, as in his, uh, which we still, in, in, if you pick up a book of Common Prayer in Hebrew, that's what it's called. Okay. <clears throat> which is uh, an interesting little, little, little look. I'm noting here in verse 2 uh, that this uh, phrase, those of the circumcision, is already denoting uh, a frame of mind and an observance of tradition that is deeply ingrained in the community in Jerusalem. Yes. And is, in fact, active throughout the rest of the New Testament and not in a good way, as, yes. we, as we see. As we will see. And it doesn't go away, does it? It doesn't go away, and eventually it leads to the apostasy of large uh, amounts of the Jewish believing community. Yeah. All right. So, let's have a look at uh, at the at the text. So, we have now um, these Jewish people who have entered and eaten um, into a Gentile home. The Holy Spirit has fallen on them, 
and uh, this knowledge, this information spread. News travels fast. And good news travels even faster. So the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Who else do you think heard? Probably the Romans heard. Who else would have heard? Probably the fact, yeah, probably the temple. Probably heard this as well. Uh, although at the, then we don't get any information of, of them. It's not concerned with them at the moment. It's concerned with the leadership uh, in Jerusalem, the apostles, and the brothers. So in, in Greek here, Adolfu, brothers, at this point in the book of Acts, still only refers to Jews. The, the term the brethren, brothers, is not going to include Gentiles until after Acts 15, when we've had that council. So they distinguish between the apostles and the non-apostles. So for whatever reason, they still are holding on to a hierarchy. Okay? There's still people that they know as slightly different to somebody else. Um, and... Uh, they need, they've heard the, what's been going on and they need an explanation. Uh, they're a little concerned. They weren't there when this event had happened. They didn't see. Um, they've heard the rumor. But they're not going to believe just rumors. Or they're going to ask, is this true and why are you doing it? And so they ask for Peter and his, um, his six brothers, brethren, to uh, give an account. So Peter, in verse 2, went up to Jerusalem. The circumcised believers criticized him. And their criticism is, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Okay. Does that sound like much of a criticism that we would level today? Most likely not. Okay. Is it? Is it? You would? No. So the opposition initially in, uh, to the Jesus movement was from who? Right. Particular which type? So it was initially it was um, temple authority and Hellenists, right? Because because the the Book of Acts says that as the in the early church they had favor with the people. The actual Hebrew Hebrews said these guys are great. They're doing uh, we we like their message. We like their Torah. We like their healing. They, we like their generosity to each other. We like their compassion to each other. We think it's a great little movement. Um, but then it was the, uh, the Hellenists, the, the, the like Saul, the, the Jews from outside that began the uh, intense, intense persecution. Now where does the problem come from? Now it's internal. Okay, we've had outside persecution. Now the problem starts coming from within. And um, you often see that in many movements today. And you see it in the church today. You see it in mission organizations. Okay? They, all, they have incredible histories that survive amazing things. And then when, when you talk about where does the problem lie, it's often within ourselves, which is um, rather unfortunate. Okay? And it always reminds me of that very interesting parable of the seed that grows into a nice big tree and then the birds of the air come and nest where? Within it. And what are the birds of the air, according to the parable? Agents of Satan. And you think, hang on a second, 
what is that doing existing inside the community? Sometimes the, that's, that's what happens. And so here you have um, the, in the internal, internal uh, debate. And um, last, uh, uh, last week we had a big discussion on um, the nature of the boundary issue. Why did Jewish people put such strict boundaries on themselves vis-a-vis -vis, um, eating or fellowshipping or touching or encountering Gentiles? Okay, so there was an uncleanliness factor, but there are ways to make yourself clean, right? And they were also conquered by the Gentiles. Yes, this is a okay. way that they were preserving their uh, faith. Okay, so it's preserving themselves from assimilation. Right? So there's this issue that um, if we if we engage with uh, the Gentile world too much we'll actually lose our identity. So, what does that now look like for the modern messianic movement? Any idea? Because they're, they're facing the exact same th thoughts. Okay, 2,000 years later. You know, if all of us messianics only marry Gentiles, what happens? Right? But, do you put a rule on that says Jews can only marry Jews? It doesn't sound very, very biblical, does it? Right? So you can see that they had an issue. Right? It's a real issue. And it's not as simple and clear-cut as we'd all like to think. Okay? The Torah was very clear about keeping themselves separate in some ways. Right. So you had boundaries that are created, and now you've got this uh, movement that's, that's um, in a bit of a shock because the boundaries are being, are being shaken yeah. and everything that they thought was what they were supposed to do okay, is now it's a, it's a, it, is a, it is a shock for these guys mm -hmm. so the circumcised party and that's the name that we now get given by these guys okay, it becomes a label okay. um, and, but they're believers what do they believe in? Yeshua what have they got? the Holy Spirit Okay, they've been they've been doing their little thing in uh, in Jerusalem, and we've we've heard from Acts chapter two the type of type of community that they that they are. They're very compassionate with each other. Uh, they're sharing their 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 food. Then they had an issue between Hebrew and Greek. They sorted that one out, uh, and now they've got the next shock, which is all, all these goys. And what do we do with these people? There's a shock going on today too, because. Because of the grafting in. Yep. And both sides don't want to give in. But they're going to have to allow the Messianic community to go forward because of the grafting in that needs to be done when the church becomes one. What does it mean by to go forward? To the fulfillment of God's plan for salvation, Jew and Gentile. Still not quite sure what that means, sorry. In, in terms of like. Um, like yes, we, we, we acknowledge we're grafted in, but what does that, I mean, mean? Well, ultimately, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Hmm. The church becomes one. Right, right, right. The one new man concept. The one new yeah, man one man, man, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, there's also no males or females, right? So within that same well, context, so... Because function, 
<laughs> yes, so there's still, there is still Jews, there's still Gentiles, there's still males, there's still females, there's still slaves, there's still free. But yes, vis-a-vis the Messiah, there is not. <laughs> yeah, on the weekend, yeah? yeah okay, yeah. Right. So the, we've got this big issue. It's a, it is a big issue. So they bring him to Jerusalem. This is the spot where we're going to have like the council. We're going to have our um, discussion. Peter begins to have to explain himself. And, um, and, uh, and basically he does a retelling, a shortened version, but he adds some information he, uh, from what actually is written in, in Acts 10. Does anyone know off the top of their head or noticed which bit he actually added? It's actually in um, verse uh, 14, is it? When um, the angel says to Cornelius, he will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. That's not what the angel said to Cornelius. Okay, so this is a, a... way of describing what actually happened and then you reread it back into 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 history um, but it is something that we all actually do whenever something um, all right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we put out little embellishments and you know and and of course you do otherwise you wouldn't have sermons you just read the Bible and stop <laughs> all right? and like, oh there you go sermons done I've just read six verses and that's it you Expound, you add, you, you, you discuss. Peter's going to do it too. So Peter begins and explains everything that he was in the city of Joppa, okay, which uh, if you heard the word Joppa, who's the guy you think about? Jonah. Right, Jonah, and, uh, and praying. And he talks about the, the vision sequence, um, uh, this, this idea of the sheet being let down, four corners, it comes down and he looks, he sees all these different types of animals, all different types of animals, birds, reptiles, things clean and unclean, and the command, kill and eat, we all know. Uh, Peter says something interesting, I've never let anything impure ever come to my lips. So what does that sort of describe Peter's upbringing? Sorry? Okay. He's kosher, yeah. So he might not be the most um, literate of uh, Jewish sailors, but he certainly kept the kosher rules. And, um, and even in today's world, there are many, many Jewish people who don't believe in anything, um, and, but they are definitely kashrut. They definitely keep kosher. Because um, that's part of their... Aaron, can I ask, back on those days, 2,000 years ago, how extensive were the rules of Kashrut? Were they kind of beyond what we read in the, in the Hebrew scriptures? That's a good, I don't know. That is a I really mean, good question. There are folks in the Messianic community that are quite happy to keep biblical kosher. Yes. And which is not too onerous. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was wondering how, how that was to go I actually have actually, in all the time that I've studied, uh, with the with with um, in the rabbinical movement, I have not yet once encountered a Mishnah or a, or a tractate that discusses kashrut of the Second Temple period. I would be fairly confident that that was a moving target, getting progressively, continuously more onerous, uh, and that's human nature, and also extrapolating back to what we see now. The process is still going on. Yeah. The ultra orthodox themselves argue over which. Yes. Which label and which seal you have to have to be really kosher. So yeah. it's not a uniform 
business and it's constantly getting more severe. It is. I think you get a hint of it in the passage where Jesus is criticizing the um, Pharisees, saying that you lay burdens on people, uh, but you don't lift a finger yourself. And it implies to me that it's actually food laws that the women have to look after. And the men don't, don't concern themselves, they just make up the laws and they don't concern themselves with having to keep yeah, Jesus is accused of eating with other Jews who were accused as being traitors. And that was a was symbol. He never he was not accused of, well, this guy's eating with a bunch of Gentiles. He's eating with um, tax collectors and, and unclean Jews. Yeah. Um, interesting thing. Um, that Kashrut certificates are just getting insane. Um, our daughter had a birthday, she turned ten. So when I went to go buy a balloon. Right. A, um, a balloon that you puff up with helium. So I went into a shop. There is no food in this shop. None whatsoever. And yet... So, sorry? It's a flower shop. Uh, no, no, no flowers. It was the, the second, the, the plastic shop. So he only sells like plastic cutlery and plastic plates and things like that. He had a kosher certificate for Pesach. And I looked at it and I looked around and it said, you know, the, the, the document says a rabbi has come in and he's made sure there's absolutely no chametz in this place. And I said, how can there possibly be chametz in your shop? You don't sell any food at all. I mean, this is just ridiculous. And he was like, yeah, he's a secular Jew. He's like, yeah, they just want money from me. So they come in, it cost me a couple of hundred shekels for him to give me this piece of paper, which he probably printed out on his um, printer at home. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a bit... Bit hard, <laughs> okay. um, but but for but for uh, the 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 Jewish world of the Second Temple period, um, they had Jews and Gentiles living close, reasonably close together, particularly in the Galilee. What was the Galilee known of? The Galilee of Gentiles. right. It was uh, it was lots of them. Once you got closer down to Jerusalem, it was a lot easier to keep kosher because it's the temple. And, um, all right, so uh, the voice says, don't call anything unclean. And this is in relation to um, um, uh, the Gentiles, not to pork. But this happens three times, which is an interesting number. Um, and then it was pulled up to heaven. And then these men appear, also three. And uh, they've been sent to me from Caesarea, and they've stopped where I was up. The spirit, right? Then he, he, he is part of his defense, which is true. He notes that the spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Now, if somebody told you that the spirit told me to do something, what's our first usual reaction? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> However, this is Peter, right? And, and, and what, is, what has happened in Peter's life? What's his little trajectory since the resurrection? Sorry? He's been restored. He has had fire on his head. He has preached boldly. He's been thrown into prison. He's been led out by angels. He has, his shadow has been healing people. So, most likely, if he says the Holy Spirit talked to me, everyone's believing him by this stage. Yep. So he's, he's, got, he's got good Radical. credentials by about this stage. All right? Maybe if I had said the Holy Spirit talked to me, people might get a bit suspicious. But. Um, but for him, he's got some. He's got a pretty good CV by this stage. But back then, there wouldn't be too many people who, who, who would say that. 
and these days there are many mobs. Yes, right. would say that. Well, that's also so, true, yes. <laughs> more limited. Uh, yeah. yeah, nowadays, yeah, the Holy Spirit seems to say lots of amazing things. <laughs> also, he had, a, he had a vision. Three men appeared asking him to go somewhere, and then felt the Holy Spirit speak to him. So, in a way, it was like three. Three, again, this witness of the yeah, one bang, 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 and uh, it appears. Yep. yep. Um, he's on a roll. And then he says, These six brothers went with me. Now, in Acts chapter 10, he doesn't say how many brothers, but now we actually get the number. Yep. And, uh, and we entered the man's house. Okay. So he completely admits this is what happened and this is how it happened. And um, now that might not seem like a big deal for us. He enters the man's house. Wow! So he did, um, but it is. It was a. It was a big moment for the the church. This is a. All the barriers are, are being broken down. And then he, this is Cornelius, told us how he'd seen seen an angel appear in his house and say, "Send to Joppa for someone called Simon and Peter." And he. This is where where um, he adds this 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 piece of information. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Okay. So, who's the all the household? Right. So, who's getting saved here? Everybody. Right. And uh, and how young is everybody? Possibly all the soldiers too. Yes, you had in, you had soldiers. Yeah. Right. We actually don't know the ages of this of this, but if there were young small babies, are they getting saved too? But often in the Bible it says all. It doesn't really mean all. Like that all is also Israel came here, came to Jerusalem. That is, that is correct. The word all in the Bible doesn't mean all. Um, and so it is possible to argue, if you want to, that all the household is being saved and therefore that includes the small children. And uh, you can also argue from the biblical text that all actually doesn't mean all. And it actually just means, what does it mean? A majority, a lot of the household got saved, as opposed to absolutely everybody that was in the room. Um, Although in Jewish tradition, if you do have a baby, how does the baby get baptized? Even today, in, the, in a, in a mikveh. Mothers hold their babies. And so, in, in, in Jewish tradition, when a household is coming to faith and joining the, the movement, they do it to the children, they do it to the infants, then and there. So, it is not that the church invented infant baptism. That is not true. Uh, okay? Baptism... Mikveh all comes from the Jewish tradition. They're the guys who invented it. There's nothing in the Gentile world that did this. This is a, this is a very Jewish thing that they do. Okay? And so if you're uh, a household and you are coming to faith and you are joining the, Jesus, uh, joining the Jewish people, then everybody gets baptized, including the babies. I mean, usually the side would just make with a parallel to circumcision, so you Correct. Eight days. But I haven't heard it made in connection with the, um, the mother kind of yeah. um, the two of them. Right, going in, yes. However, it is also, and it must be noted and stressed, 
all in the Bible doesn't mean all. Like the way we use it in English. So, so here you have the, the phrase, all his household. So it would just imply a majority, okay? not 100%. Right? And, and uh, as our brother pointed out, it's, it's based on, on examples in the Hebrew, which will say that all Israel went to Mitzpah to worship the Lord. Obviously, they all didn't do that. Right? Because that would imply that the entire nation was essentially empty. And all these houses were empty, and everybody could just take whatever they wanted whenever they felt like it. Uh, and that's just not true. Yeah. So, um, then, as I began to speak, this is now he's uh, continuing his discussion. The Holy Spirit, we, many times in this text he just calls the Spirit the Spirit. Okay, but now actually uses the term Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, came upon them as he had come on us at the beginning. So how did it come on them at the beginning? Fire. Okay, and, and multiple languages. And so, so you're pretty sure he's implied that there were tons of fire and a lot of So think about what his hearers have just heard. Right? He sees guys in Jerusalem. They know the experience that they had. So Peter has stood up and said, the Holy Spirit came on them just like it came on us at the beginning. So if they heard that, what are they thinking? They're thinking multiple languages, lights, the presence of the Lord, fire, baptism, you know, all of that stuff that went on that first day. Right? doesn't say that in the text, but that would be implied by what you're hearing right? and so um, which is an interesting thought well yeah they do they, they're like what uh. so and then and then, P- then Peter has this interesting little um, admission uh, and then I actually remembered something the Lord said right? we actually don't get many quotes of Jesus in, in, in the in the New Testament once you leave the Gospels it people don't quote Jesus anymore Okay. Have you noticed that? Even though Luke wrote Luke, wrote, Luke wrote the book of Acts, he never quotes Luke. Um, Paul never quotes Jesus. Like they never quote a gospel. Okay. They just These like little sentences appear every now and again. Why? That's a good question. Maybe they didn't have access to those documents. Maybe they didn't, weren't inspired to. Maybe they didn't feel like it. Maybe it wasn't part of their... Uh, rhetoric or however it was sorry well there's a good indication that actually acts that Luke has already written his gospel prior to to acts why because he says in my former account right so he's definitely actually written Luke in fact my argument is that Luke's the first one as in as is as is much of Jerusalem scholarship thinking that Luke is the first gospel written very early Somewhere between the years 36, uh, sorry, 37 and 41. Mm. Right. Um, so here he quotes, he actually just quotes Jesus from Acts chapter 1. Um, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So again, um, the idea of baptism is, is a what? A mikveh. And how many times can you get mikveh? As many times as you like. 
Right? So the sort of implication that the Holy Spirit, you can just keep getting baptized in the Spirit. And doesn't that sound like a really good idea? Okay. Um, so if God has given them the same gift, right? again, the Holy Spirit is a gift. At the same time as he's a gift, what else is he? Remember from other parts of the book of Acts. Guys who have been, who've been here studying for a while. You get the Holy Spirit also through obedience. That's Acts 4. So it's a gift, yes. But then Peter also says the, the Holy Spirit is given if you obey. You go, oh, interesting. But here, he doesn't talk about that bit. He talks about that its initial reception is gift. Not earned, not bought, not bargained for, just given. Just to back up, it sounds like Paul is quoting uh, Jesus in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it says, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. Yes, yeah, so yeah. So he's not actually quoting a text text, he's quoting the Lord. Yeah. So he's not actually holding onto a document and saying, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew, right. is following stuff. He's, he's talking as an eyewitness. Yes. So there's a few things like that, just like it's in here. But Peter's not going to say, or Luke, the writer of Acts, is not going to say, as Jesus said to Peter in my gospel. Okay? He, he doesn't, you don't find quotes of the, of the gospels in the direct quotes in the New Testament. Paul quotes in our place saying that the Lord said, it's more blessed to give than receive. It's a very simple Right, and, and, and could have just been Torah Baal Pei, something that's being passed along as a, as a really good teaching. But um, yes, it's, uh, but as a, as a general, general rule, epistles, New Testament doesn't quote gospels. Okay, um, so we get given the gift. Okay, now the gift was given to them, it was given to us, okay, who believed in the Lord. Um, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Right, so that's his defense. He wraps it all up by saying, um, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to stop this. Because what I saw, what actually happened, what heavenly voices told me, what angelic visions said, as opposed to, um, you know, it read in the Psalms that, uh, Hallelujah, Adonai, Kol praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, or it says in the prophets that the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh. Like He, 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 he sticks to, to what he actually saw. That's his defense. This is what actually happened. No need to embellish too much. Little embellishment there on the um, uh, that the angel told the Cornelius that he was going to get saved. Right? He knows he did, and he rereads it back in, into into um, the past. Um, and uh, and their response is what? They're stunned into silence. It's like, oh, well, let's ponder this for a second. And, um, and often that's a lot of people's reaction when they hear uh, an interesting either teaching or a challenge. Yes? Does that happen to you guys? If uh, you hear a speaker and you, and you think, oh, how do I react to that? And we begin to internalize. And uh, yep, they did. They actually have no further objections. They don't really have know what to say other than to praise the Lord. So their response, yes, 
Yeah. I think it also helps that they're not just two or three witnesses, there were seven. Yes. To this, and they would obviously, you know, his friends with him would have, yeah, agreed and affirmed what people would say. Yes, so he's got a goodly number there. And he, he talks about, because it's his experience, he saw this baptism, and this baptism came with tongues. But there were other baptisms that did not. Which ones can you think of so far in the book of Acts? Samaria. Yeah, Samaria did not. Okay. In fact, how did they get the Holy Spirit? By the laying on of hands. It right? didn't come through baptism at all. Right? Um, they had already believed, they had already been baptized, and yet they still hadn't got the Spirit. So the Spirit had to come from this laying on of hands, and there was no mention of fire and tongues and all that kind of stuff. Who else uh, didn't? You did uh, yeah, appears not to have suddenly broken out into spontaneous uh, uh, Aramaic or Latin and surprised all the Romans who were nearby, right? That um, doesn't seem to have, have appeared. What did surprise people was um, Philip's immediate transportation method. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. That seemed to cause uh, some interesting stuff. Okay. Um, so we have this thing, they had no further objections. They glorified God, but they didn't tie it back to prophecy, which is actually now being fulfilled. Yes. But Jesus said that on the show, and he said, This is that, and he quoted, but this, yep. this is very much prophesied. Yes. Details of one day come, they just didn't know how, and that's why Paul was so said, now, now this is now the mystery, yeah, I didn't realize this before, but this is now suddenly unfolding before my eyes, and I'm guys, learning something. See, yeah. Um, they say here that they have no further opposition. Has that always been the way of the church? Internally? Yeah. Somehow, we still oppose God. It's just one of those interesting, maybe sad, pieces of, of, uh, of church history is that um, how many times does a revival break out and who actually opposes the revival? Initially the church. <laughs> Want to control it. Okay, we, yeah, we, uh, reformations, counter-reformations, uh, all these kinds of different things. This is not, yeah, it's got to be my way, right? Yes. Yes. That's right. Hurry up and everyone act like a team and do it my way. Right? But, uh, they say, who does God think he is breaking my rules? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to have a real serious talk with him when I get to heaven, you know, to figure out what's going wrong here. Uh, uh, the, uh, so God, and so then they have an interesting um, saying. The, the, well, first of all, they don't have any opposition. But does the opposition stop? I mean, uh, an underground briefing. <coughs> right. Yes. I think I think um, Ari is probably right. The the movement is, is suppressed for a little bit. The opposition vocally a little bit, but you see them reappear again. Right. You, it, it's going to reappear so so bad. You've got to have Acts 15, even though you would think we just dealt with it in Acts 11. We're good now. <coughs> it doesn't go away. The opposition remains. 
Um, so then their conclusion, their, what's, the, what's the Apostolic Council's conclusion? Verse uh, 18. God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. What are some of the other translations? Everyone got roughly that's, that? That's, what's it say in the Greek? That's literal. Literal. Good, good, good translation. Good translation, yeah. It's really handy having a Greek scholar. It's not just granted, given. Given. Yeah. So, as a statement, what is that? What are those words? Uh, do they challenge? Is there something missing there that you might thought that they might say? The Gentiles are given what? Repentance. Repentance. What an interesting thing to be given. Right? We've already talked about them getting the gift of the Spirit or the, the opportunity to believe in the Messiah. But how many of us actually say, wow, you know, it's the grace of God that I've been given the opportunity to repent. Right? <laughs> Repentance is one of those topics that people just don't like talking about anymore. Right? Particularly, um, okay, if we want to get a little critical of the Western Church, particularly in the Western Church, okay, you know, um, this, the, you don't you want to talk about repentance anymore. We think you know, repentance is, is, a, is a, a silly topic, but um, what an interesting thing to say that the Holy Spirit has come and this is fantastic. Repentance is given to the Gentiles for what life, and what was the. How did it begin in, um, with Jesus in the beginning of the book of Acts? He said that you'll preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's exactly what he did. Right? He said, repent and you will be forgiven of your sins. He's in the temple. He had a perfect opportunity to start saying, look at these stupid sacrifices. They don't do anything. But his repentance is forgiven. Not believe uh, or the blood of Jesus will give you the, the forgiveness of sins. Which is also true. But the actual phrases that they use and the language that they describe and the thing that they want people to do is repent. This, this idea. And repentance unto? What does it mean by life? What do you think? Eternal life? Eternal? Absolutely. Absolutely. God's life. God's life. There's a good way, yeah. The real life. Right? As opposed to something saying your place in heaven. <coughs> your get out of jail free card. The Gentiles are not going to go to hell. Uh, the, the actual way to describe it is you get life. Right? Or as what Yeshua said in John, I've come to give you life and give it in abundance. Right? The sort of idea that uh, this life that you get is absolutely fantastic. And it's more than just living and breathing and having blood in your body in your in your body it's something else and when does it start right now right that sort of idea that eternal life is actually right now not waiting for your death you actually can embrace this life right now so that's his defense they all agree movement goes underground when unfortunately it's not done unfortunately then the scene moves to a different city and we go into Antioch. Why do you think out of all the places that this, this um, movement is spreading, why do we now talk about Antioch? 
Any ideas? Any thoughts? Sorry? Luke is from there. Yes, I have a suspicion and it's also pretty close to home. It is true that Antioch is, at the time, was the third largest city in the Roman, Roman Empire. It had been the capital of the Greek Seleucid Empire when they had, were forming their um, uh, uh, nation. Just like Alexander the Great ran around and, and started making cities all named Alexandria, okay? there was actually a guy in the uh, Seleucid Empire uh, who named a lot of cities after his grandfather, Antioch. Right? So you had all these Antiochs everywhere. Okay, but this is the big one, right? And um, it's a, it's a, it's a, was a, it's was a major center for Hellenistic Judaism. Okay, where you get Luke. Um, it had a high degree of Latin. Right, for what is what is Luke's name? Lucius. That's actually a Latin name. So even though these are Hellenistic Jews, that doesn't actually mean that um, that they just spoke Greek also engaged in trade with the West, which meant there was a high degree of Latin. Um, and uh, the, it, was a, it was also famous for um, where Mark Antony and Cleopatra, that's also a Tarsus, it's, this is also famous for its temple prostitutes. So it was a rather, well, it's being a, a city of culture and a city of trade, a city of commerce and about half a million people. Um, it was also known for a little bit of immorality, uh, a little, little bit, yes, the, on weekends when the girls came home. Okay, um, that, that that issue, um, but uh, but it also it also produces people like uh, Luke, uh, potentially. The, according, yep, yep. All right, so we hear that there's been those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. This is, this is where they travel. They travel as far as Phoenicia, which is where today? Lebanon. Lebanon. They travel. <clears throat> yep, they travel to Cyprus. Right? And they travel and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Right? So the, 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 the first sentence sets up that this is a, has, has, has been an inner Jewish movement. Okay? And even though they've got the Holy Spirit, no one, Spirit's not prompting them, or if He is prompting them, no one's listening, to go outside these boundaries. If they talk to Jews inside a synagogue, who else is obviously there? Who inhabits, who goes to synagogue on a Shabbat in antiquity? Jews. Who else? Yes. So there were Gentiles in these places, yet, God-fearers, yet, we're not hearing about them. The text is deliberately keeping them out of the picture, even if they actually are there. Okay? Remember, what is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is sacred history. It's not a gospel, and it's not a, an epistle. You don't read it in the same way you do a gospel. And it's the sacred history of the gospel, how it gets west. It's not concerned about how the gospel goes north, south, or east. Okay, it's concerned about something else. Here, we're concerned about this major city, and we initially want to set up a, a, a dichotomy. Initially, the believers are keeping the, the, the movement in-house. It's a Jewish messiah, after all. So we're, we're talking about um, uh, 
these guys. These guys who've been scattered in the connection with Stephen, who are they? Where do these believers initially come from? Pentecost. Yeah. These are the these are the, some of the guys that probably were there on the initial day. Okay. Who are they not? They're not the apostles, <laughs> because um, in the in the persecution, who doesn't get scattered? Apostles. The apostles, and the text doesn't say why not. Um, we speculated that every time we threw an apostle in prison, what tended to happen to him? The angels came along and let him out. So after a while it became, this just isn't working, okay? So there's no point locking these guys up, but we can certainly kill the other fellas for some reason, all right? Um, even though people are full of the Holy Spirit like Stephen, that doesn't make them immortal. And, uh, and so we have these guys, uh, Jewish people who are in Jerusalem, most, some of them most likely from um, that, that time period, um, and, they're, and they're sharing it with Jews. However, some of them, however, some of those people who are from what? The persecution. Okay. Because remember in, 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 um, in Shavuot, it describes that there are men from Cyrene. There are men from Cyprus. Okay. So these are, God, uh, these are, these are Jews. Uh, where's uh, Cyrene, by the way? Anyone know? North Africa. Yeah. It's a uh, uh, sort of Libya, Tunisia sort of area. Um, so they're quite, quite a way out. Um, so what language would they have been speaking? Latin and Greek. Correct. Yep. So again, you've got Latin and Greek speakers going to a Latin and Greek speaking town. So it's all pretty well good for these people. And, um, and they begin to also begin to talk to the Greeks, which is kind of obvious in the effect that they would be there in the synagogues anyway. Right? These God-fearers. And then, it's a hop, skip and a jump to, you should probably tell my mate about this message as well. And so, how it actually branches out from talking to just God-fearers or attending to the synagogue to, to Hellenists, to Greeks as well, we're not sure. But, we are definitely not giving their, given their names. There's probably a hint in verse 21 that miracles and healings were going on as well. Right, yes. Which is very helpful. Very. The Lord's hand was with them. Doesn't exactly explain what that means. However, we have seen it in the past in Acts that these were accompanied by healing. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So now we're getting a, a big movement of both Jews and Gentiles. Probably by this stage, more actually Gentiles. Just by sheer number. Okay? There's just more of them. Um... We do not hear of the success in other cities. That doesn't mean it wasn't happening. Right? The persecution spreads. But all our sacred history is concerned about at the moment is describing this event. And it was going to make the, uh, continue to describe how these Gentiles are joining the, the movement. And it's in good numbers, and the Lord is with them. Right? Um, the success is attributed to God. Doesn't tell you how. Right? We do exactly the same thing. When something good happens in our lives, what do we say? Praise the Lord. The Lord did this. We don't explain how we actually did it. Right? We, just, it's, we, we also say the same thing. 
attribute the success uh, to the Lord and here they do roughly the same thing and so now good news travels fast so we zip down to Jerusalem that um, uh, so the church in, in Jerusalem which has just had this little uh, powwow with um, Peter now also receives some information not sure of the time difference or variation or even if it's actually chronologically in sync um, that, that uh, there's this movement happening in Jerusalem so what's their response what does Jerusalem do right yes so they send Barnabas so who's Barnabas Levite from Cyprus. He's a Levite from Cyprus, whose first name is Joseph. Right? So, and in, in, in Cyprus, what languages do they speak? Greek. Yep. So here we've got our little... His name, though, is also... Right, so it's an Aramaic name. Bar Barnabas. Okay, he's an he's a, he's a Aramaic, Aramaic. So he may have also had the, the opportunity to speak a form of, of a Semitic language as well. Um, and being a Levite, what most likely could he also speak? Probably. <laughs> We're not sure, but uh, most likely. Okay? Or some form of, of Semitic. He may have actually read the Aramaic uh, translations. We're not sure. Um, so Jerusalem's response is to send uh, one, of their, one of their big guys uh, to go down. Um, and when he arrives, he sees the evidence of what? Or how does he describe it? The grace of God. Okay. Now, isn't that an interesting way to describe Jews and Gentiles together? So you got Jews and Gentiles together, worshiping the Lord, and his response is, this is the grace of God. This is... Um, uh, this is... The, the, the language is very interesting. Well, I find it very interesting. I don't know about you guys. But, um, and so he's glad. And so what does he do? He does his namesake, right? He, he actually stays there. He encourages them to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. So he, he, um, he, he doesn't leave or he doesn't, he doesn't disappear. He actually stays and begins to build up on the work that's already being done. And um, the description of him, he is a good man, okay? um, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, which is what we also saw with Stephen. He got the same um, motif. Uh, and a great number of people are also brought to the Lord. So by strengthening what already exists, what does that actually do? It adds to the number. Okay? So his first task is strengthen what's there. Not, okay, I shall now go and get more people. Right? We'll just fill this place. Well, it's already getting full. He makes sure that the foundation is good and he actually strengthens uh, the brothers. They must be discipled. They need to be discipled. Yeah. So, the a strong, healthy community grows. Right. Make okay. Yep. A strong, healthy community has the potential uh, for growth. And the phrase that's used, um, I, I find it interesting in verse twenty-three, where Paul says he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Ooh. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. You've got to stay on. Yeah. You don't, you don't let kind of the uh, Christian life tick over. Yep. You've got to, you've got to focus on this and, it, and 
Archimedes also, um, because of its actually Jews and Gentiles together. Yep. What would be some of the issues this now community is facing? The text doesn't tell us, right? It doesn't, doesn't say, all. it's just giving us this nice rosy picture. But what could possibly be, now we, we're speaking into silence, but what do you think some of the issues could be? Uh, meal fashion. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly we're going to have the exact same issue, aren't we? Jews who have been remaining separate so that they maintain their identity now are discovering that there's lots of Gentiles. This is my brother. How do I react? Uh, what, would, what could Barnabas have said in, to encourage them? Actually, we got this message from Peter. This is what actually happened. This is what you can do now. Uh, what's some of the other issues that might come to, to pass? Circumcision? Yes. Now some of these Gentiles have had some children. What do we do, boss? Okay. What are some of the other issues? Eating of blood. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, the, um, the issue of food still there, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's another big one, what when, when tends to happen when you get men and women together. Intermarriage. Yes. <laughs> so now suddenly you've got this community of uh, Jews and Gentiles, and then there's this young little Jewish boy, and there's a really nice Gentile girl, and we're going to get stuck with it. Hang on a second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mum is suddenly not happy. What do you mean she's not Jewish? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and so these these issues are not dealt with. Okay, the text is actually kind of silent. But Barnabas's role is to encourage and and to and to say remain true. There's some issues. You ha- it's not all plain sailing. It could be tough, but but stick with it. And we know from Paul's letter to the Galatians that, it, that these things happened. We yep. had huge uh, disputes. Over huge disputes in Antioch. In Antioch, yes. So at the, here, the text doesn't say it. But we we have this uh, this discussion, and uh, and so um, so what is what does Barnabas do? He goes for help. Okay? You know, he's there. He's doing his thing. The, we don't. He doesn't say. Well, he shoots off to Tarsus to get Saul because he was burning out, or there were some issues that he needed. Uh, but what he does is he goes to Tarsus, which is um, uh, another famous city in the Roman world. This is where uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra do their thing, which leads to a disaster. Um, It's also a Hittite name of of an ancient town. Tarsus is a Hittite word, just like Zion is a Hittite word. Yeah, Zion's not a Hebrew word. It's a a Hittite word. and, uh, and he goes to look for Saul. Now, why does he do that? Reinforcements. Yeah, reinforcements. He also is the guy who put him there. Yeah. Okay, so he, 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 and when he finds him, he brings him to Antioch. And so he basically says, come and help. And so it says, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul work together, right? teaching a great number of people. So. Paul does not start the mission to the Jews. He actually is brought in to the Gentiles. Sorry, he he he. It already is well underway. He is brought in to care for a mixed flock. So he's going to have lots of things to say about this in his epistles. So he's got a whole year with Barnabas to work through these these things. I imagine that conversation that went on in Tarsus. 
Barnabas, I'm sure, went to Saul and with excitement he said, Paul, it's happening just like you said it would. Come help. Yeah. Yeah. He's been sitting there for 14 years, yep. not twiddling his thumbs, but wandering and waiting and studying and thinking and praying, and here the door is opened. Yeah. And, yeah. So, the, uh, uh, according to church tradition, uh, Tertullian thinks that Barnabas is the guy who wrote uh, Hebrews. I'm not 100% sure. Um, he's also attributed as writing an epistle called the Epistle of Barnabas, mm-hmm. right? Which is uh, quoted by Oregon and um, Clement. Okay, some early church fathers quote quote that, and it also appears in an early church Bible called the Codex Sinaiticus, which is a fourth century, so it's in the 300s. So uh, it is not in our Bibles today, although much of its theology still appears in the church. Okay, so if you actually read the Epistle of Barnabas, you'll go, wow, that looks a lot like Pentecostalism. Okay? Um, a lot of modern-day Pentecostal doctrines actually look like they're just straight out of the uh, Epistle of Barnabas. Okay? Uh, as an interesting document, whether you would like to read it or not, it's up to you. Um, but Do we have any information why it was not included in the canon? Um, so it wasn't initially, but then there were as you you see the Eusebius discusses that it's become part it's become one of the disputed books also with guess who the other ones were James and Hebrews and Revelation and very and the epistles of John uh, so they, it was a it was a bit of a milieu going on there in the 200s and 300s as to which books you should and shouldn't read but in the end um, it's not included Judging by the results they had in, in the midst of a bit of this confusion and even lack of uh, documented scripture, the, it, we could confidently say that uh, being precise in all of these things is, is not an absolute requirement in regards right. to the economy. Yeah. Yes, does that make sense? As, what the centuries, said? as the four or five centuries went by, more greater and greater precision of uh, canon canonical uh, discernment was accompanied by less and less power and uh, godliness so you could take our pick (laughs) the early church right doesn't have a bible as we know it and it doesn't seem to be as a bigger deal as we seem to think it is today right which is interesting so you know it's a it's one of those phrases which is said in this room many many times your faith is not in your bible What's your faith in? Jesus Christ. Yes, the risen Messiah. Right? So it actually doesn't matter what Bible you read. All language, all version. Okay? Just read something, will you? <laughs> and, uh, and so here you have um, this idea that Barnabas, now who's Barnabas from? Where's, where's he sent from? He's sent from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is now taking care of the Antioch church. And how are they doing it? They're doing it through two of their shlichim, two of their emissaries, Paul and, and, and Barnabas. At this stage, he's still called Saul. It could be that um, this is where he picks up his Latin name, right? Paulus is Latin for little one, right? He would uh, have had it as a Roman citizen. Probably, mm-hmm. but it's a... Uh, 
it's a it's a it's an interesting name that he gets given okay? for his uh, statue. It is, this is also the first place where the disciples are called Christians. Okay? I understand that the Greek doesn't say Christian at the later word. It says followers of the Messiah. Christianos. Christianos. Yeah. Yeah. Ian, Ian is is Latin for the party of. Right. So Christian, the party of the Messiah. Okay. And so it's just a Zionist, it, literally. Yeah, we've, we've transliterated it into English, and it assumed its current meaning over five centuries of Christian usage and yeah. translation. So uh, the actual f term that you use to des describe yourself, I'm going to argue, doesn't matter. Now, messianics, as we know in this country have a hard time now calling themselves Messianics. Why? Because Chabad are called Messianics. Right? And so if you say the word right? then people go, oh, uh, you must be Chabad. In fact, we have a Jewish believer who stayed in our apartment um, several years. He moved to Al-Mog. And when he went to Al-Mog, they asked him, you know, what do you like? And he said, look, I just want to be clear with you. I'm Messianic. Their response was, we don't want any Chabad here. <laughs> and he doesn't look anything like a Chabadnik. He's like, no, 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 I'm not Chabad, I'm Messianic. <laughs> yes, we don't want any Chabad here. And he's like, no, 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 forget it, look, I believe in Yeshua. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay, uh, and, and uh, so it's, the, the nomenclature actually shouldn't bother us as much as it does sometimes. And these are the, the party of the, of the Messiah. They have been called many things up until this point. And they will be called different things later on as well. Okay? And this is actually a name that is placed upon them from the outside. Okay? It's not something that they themselves are, 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 are attributing. However, during this time, we end up with these prophets. So prophets come from Jerusalem to Antioch. And we get a name of one of these prophets. So what does that tell us that existed in the Second Temple period? Prophets. Yet, we are often told that prophecy had ceased. And yet, when we actually come to the New Testament, we discover that it had not. Right? Anna is a prophet in the temple. They had temple prophets. It is not it, that what stopped was literary prophecy. That is, the idea that someone writes a book. Right? Prophets existed, they just didn't write stuff. Right? They didn't, you, they, like, Anna the prophetess doesn't have a book. Right? She does something but doesn't have a, a text named after. Agabus does not have a book. Right? He does not have a, uh, the epistle of Ag Agabus or anything like that. Um, and so they come from Jerusalem to Antioch and what do they, what's going to happen? there's going to be a, a famine. So they're given a warning. And he stood up and, and, and the Spirit, the text describes that this prophecy is given by the Spirit. Uh, it doesn't use the word Holy Spirit, and I can't tell you the reason why it doesn't. It just, for whatever reason, they decide to just use the word the Spirit, not um, uh, given an adjective. And, uh, and so what do we actually see occurring in re re reaction to this prophecy? 
I mean, prophets should exist. Why? What does Joel 2 say? Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh and they will prophesy. prophesy. Okay, so it's expected that it's actually going to happen. What does Paul say in Corinthians? I wish you would all prophesy. prophesy. But here you have actually somebody with the job description of the prophet. And, uh, and they have a role. And they were hurt. It's also an interesting thing. They stand up, give a prophecy. There's going to be a famine. And the, re the reaction is what? Right, they believe it. And they sent help. And so you end up with, oddly enough, one of, if and it actually might be the first actual recorded ever mass uh, collection of material support for another, another place. Like you don't have any Roman records of them ever doing this, where they said, well, we better get money and we better give it to somebody else to help them. Okay? Usually it's Right, they take stuff, okay? They describe their conquests and how much they took. But it's an interesting thing that for some reason in this section you end up with this very old document of 2,000 years ago actually describing that actually, you know what, we will start taking a collection and we will go to support uh, the poor in Jerusalem. Oddly enough, this, this tradition is still done within the Anglican Church. There are other churches that do it too, but I can only speak from the Anglican one, that the good, the offering that is collected on Good Friday um, is given to the church in Jerusalem. At this point, most of it actually goes to St. George. However, okay, a portion does come to, to Christchurch. And uh, uh, so that is, that is actually a thing that happens, um, that the, the offering on Good Friday is given to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and, and where do they get that idea from? They pick it up from this, 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 this event. Okay. Um, and they send their gifts with their leaders. And they, and they send them back. Uh, I don't know why they do it that way, but uh, they do. All right. So, what have we learned that the Holy Spirit does in this chapter? What did you see the Holy Spirit do? Okay, so fell on Gentiles. What else? He makes the circumcision fall silent. Yes, the, yes. The circumcision party suddenly has nothing else to say. <laughs> There's still prophecy in the world, mm -hmm. right? Speaks the word of Yeshua to go. Yeah, well, there's definitely... To go. To go. He sends them out. Sends them out. Okay, yes. From their community. Mm-hmm. So the, whole, the, the Holy Spirit is present talking to individuals, both a Jew and a Gentile, Peter and Cornelius. The, 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 the gift of the Holy, the Holy Spirit is a gift, falls on Gentiles, and uh, in the same way that it fell, fell on Jews, no, no difference. And it also then gave the spirit of prophecy, is that his, he was still active in talking to the church through prophets. Now, if everyone has the Holy Spirit, why do you need one? Everybody has him in measure and for different purposes. Right. Everybody has the Holy Spirit in a different measure and for a different purpose. 
And so isn't that interesting that, you know, the Holy Spirit's you know, going, well, I need to warn these people that there's a famine coming. There's a whole community in Antioch, Jews and Gentiles, with the Holy Spirit. But what we need to do is send a prophet. And so it's interesting that that's the way the Holy Spirit works. And if the Holy Spirit works that way back then, if God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow, yes. So perhaps we should also have a hard look at the way we are doing things today and recognize that within our movement there are people with certain gifts and one of them actually might be to, to have for, for prophecy, which is interesting. All right. Any other questions before we close? Any arguments before we close? You, can, you may disagree with me. In fact, it's encouraging to do so. I think I would point out that the reason why we've got this passage um, you know, from verse 19 onwards is to link with Paul because it's clear from Acts that he's tracing Paul so, yeah. and this is a key point when uh, Paul is brought back in from this kind of a uh, yeah. uh, yeah. kind of sent home a bit you know? right. time in Tarsus and, and he's sent to the same city as Luke yeah, yeah which is also interesting that those two make that connection Yes, uh, Peter's, Peter's days uh, is our textual hero are going to start um, uh, falling short. And uh, um, so in next, in next chapter, we have the next reaction. So instead of having an internal opposition, we go back to having an outside opposition, which actually results in the death of some of our heroes. So once again, just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't make you mortal. Uh, and when we receive the Lord, we receive His Spirit. But then there's another outpouring of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Is, is that what you're speaking of? No. So, what we find in the, in the book of Acts, as we've studied it so far, is you can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. Sometimes the formula is repent, be baptized, get Spirit. Yes. Sometimes the formula is hear the word of God, repent, get the Holy Spirit, then get baptized. Sometimes it's hear the word of God, repent, get baptized. Nothing happens until an apostle comes and lays hands on you, get spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is given through obedience. And so whenever we try and put the Holy Spirit in a formula, what we tend to find in sacred history is he just will refuse. He just will not do that. And sometimes when you get baptized there is no evidence of tongues that's just not in the text sometimes it is there but sometimes it is not and so once again don't put the holy spirit in a box um, it would be to our detriment to do so um what we're yeah i'll leave it there all right thanks very much guys thank you thank you for listening if you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.